these in a bunch. Is it pain when I enjoy or indulge? Fruits of my own labor. The ends is grown, player. If I can do it, you can too. Go get your own player. Cause ain't no place for the jealous and hating. We only out here celebrating each other this black and <laughs> Report. You are listening to CITR 101.9 FM, broadcasting to you live on the unceded and stolen Musqueam territory. Uh, I am Ruby Raven, and I am your host. Um, welcome to today's show. <laughs> um, today we are going to be covering a lot of exciting, exciting things. So today is March 29th, which is kind of insane. I don't know why us as humans always feel the need to be like, I can't believe it's already this month. I can't believe it's already that month. But uh, that's how I feel. I can't believe it's already almost April. Um, all right. So today we have a review of The Sense and Sensibility by Lua. We have a review of My Little Tomato by Jeslyn. Great promotion. Great promotion happening um, for that. I've been seeing ads for My Little Tomato at the Colch all over the city. Very impressive. Um, review of In My Body by Dance House from L and an interview with Ilhani. Uh, a sh- by f- an interview um, from Kimara uh, with Ilhani, who made a short film called Not For Us. We got a jam packed episode today. So let's jump into it. I'm here with um, Serena. Hello. Um, Serena is going to be taking over the arts report pretty soon. We're going to be transferring. I'll still be around. Don't don't start crying. <laughs> um, but Serena's going to be the main host, which is very exciting. Um, but for right now, I'm in charge for a little <laughs> while longer. <laughs> um, okay, so let's hear our first uh Review. We're going to hear a review uh, from Jeslyn of My Little Tomato. And here it is. Here it is. Wait. I've been doing this for so long, and yet my tech skills are still so subpar. Okay. Hold on. The listener is getting a, a pull behind the curtain Ooh. right now. Um, okay. Here we go. <laughs> My Little Tomato is truly a rom-com unlike any other. The play follows a man named Keaton Chu, a Chinese-Canadian kindergarten teacher who inherits his parents' farm and because of that meets produce wholesaler Joe McKinley. It was co-produced by ZZ Theatre Company and the Vancouver Asian Canadian Theatre, also known as FACT, in association with the Rice and Beans Theatre. The show was under culture for the past weeks of March, so while unfortunately the show is over, conversation regarding the issues discussed in this play have just begun. It was interesting to see how the two main characters touch on their own traumas and how they grew more comfortable with each other over the course of the play. They touched on several issues, including family and relationship issues, 
and of course the difference of cultural beliefs towards the LGBTQ plus and Asian Canadian community. The issue Keaton, the farmer, faced was a struggle to love himself enough to be able to let himself love Joe, whom he fell head over heels for on their very first meeting. He struggles with finding a reason to live, so he drowns himself with the work that comes with maintaining the farm. The trauma from his first love still haunts him like a ghost in every corner of his life, which might have contributed to Keaton's obsession with loving each fruit and vegetable he grows individually, even the rotten ones. The symbolic representation through fresh and rotten produce was truly something that was communicated very well by the actor. Joe, on the other hand, had difficulty coming to terms with his heritage, about being half white and half Asian, and also deals with the complexities of his tough relationship with his mother. Keaton thinks that Joe is perfect. He's rich, he's handsome, and he gets everything he wants. But when Joe opens up, we can see that Joe's life isn't exactly tied with a ribbon either. Joe's character comes with his own set of issues, with his own complexities. But the way Joe was mostly the first one to put his issues aside to be a better man for Keaton was a very heartwarming development of character that punches you right in the gut. The play handles these issues in a more comedic way, which really shone through the actors' chemistry as they developed their romantic relationship throughout the play. The dynamic of the two main actors was just spectacular, and I was on the edge of my seat each time one of them teases the other. What contributes to their amazing chemistry was that the couple taught each other exactly what each of them needed to learn the most. For example, Joe was unsure if he was too Asian or too white, and confronted, and confronted his envy to Keaton Chu, whose family was proud of being Asian all their lives. Keaton explains that his family's pride of being Asian contributed to why their family farm only grew Asian produce. Ironically, Keaton becomes the reason Joe learns how to see himself differently and with that also loving himself in the process. Together, they were able to overcome this problem and come back as a couple towards the end. However, there was something else that really took the cake. Or rather, someone else. The Little Tomato features a third actor, my personal star of the show, Shay Dior. Shay Dior, the last and definitely not least of the three member cast, plays two characters interchangeably, Tomato and Potato. They represent the inner thoughts and desires of Keaton and Joe. She switches throughout the show according to whose voice the audience is hearing from during each scene. Tomato represents Keaton, and Potato represents Joe. Shay Dior's performance was spectacular, bringing in the tension, spice, and everything nice as well as never failing to spark laughter in the crowd despite their short time on the stage. Towards the end of the play, Tomato and Potato are eventually played by their respective owners. I believe this meant that they fully accepted themselves and the couple are able to live happily ever after in their own skin. One of the things, other than the acting of course, I loved about the play was their comedic timing. It was impeccable, and all three actors truly shone with their characters. There was always something about each of them that resonated with me, and all three actors truly delivered a grand performance in each and every scene. Whether that be the desperation for recognition from their family, or just the struggle of loving oneself enough to accept good things, which are the two wounds of mine that the play touched on, I think everyone in the audience could bring home a piece of one of the characters with them as they exited the theater. That said, if I was not clear enough, I thoroughly enjoyed My Little Tomato and I truly hope that the theater scene continues to talk about intersectionality in more depth. Because there are just so many unheard voices out there and there are so many stories still that just have to be told. All right, we are back. Um, that was an, a review of My Little Tomato happening or showing at the Colch. Um, it is currently, oh, my website is being slow. Is it still playing? Why won't it tell me? Um, check out the Colch to see if My Little Tomato is still, um, oh, yes, it is. It started on March 
um, 18th. So it's definitely still running. Go check that out at the Gulch. Um, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to phone it in today. It's just my Wi-Fi is being slow. Um, next up, we have a review of In My Body. Uh, this is a review from L. Oh my God, L. I don't know who you are. This is this is a new contributor. Um, welcome, L, to Arts Report. Uh, this is L's review of In My Body by Dance House. Let's take a listen. Hi there. You are listening to CITR one hundred one point nine FM Radio Art Report. Broadcasting to the unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh peoples. My name is Elle, and today I'll be giving a review for the dance performance titled In My Body by B-Boyism. Within my recent search for movement and art-based expression, I came across the Vancouver Playhouse-hosted production of the b-boyism performance called In My Body. This piece was choreographed by Crazy Smooth and his team, or Clifford Lee, and the company that promotes authenticity in all kinds of street dance. Its creations are platforms for self-expression for artists and students bridging the streets and the stage into a shared physical world and space. This is clear from their slogan, Dance to Express, Not Impress. The hip-hop and breaking piece had nothing to hide. The audience's excited anticipations were quickly humbled as the idea of quote-unquote success was sacrificed to speak about and bring forth the human parts around creating art. With empathy activated and any divisive definitions out the window, we sat to watch the multi-generational crew of 10 dancers perform and then stop to catch their breath after each explosion of energy. There was no on or off stage or behind the scenes. The performance was more of a story than it was a show and one that we are all a part of. It did not paint any false realities of life without pain. The piece took the biggest risk of all, honesty, saying, look, I too grieve, am dying, and are human. It took the beauty of that truth to express and create an experience that could not be consumed, but rather felt by those present. I think it contributes an important piece to the culture of street dance. The reality of impermanence and relating to it not as a flaw, but as a strength to appreciate, to use, play off of, and with. Saying that, well, there is grief with the ongoing loss of aging. (laughs) There, too, is success in the shared love. This experience of trying to make art along our way is a battle both with and against time. One that requires its passing and lessons, but is also at its whim, being slowly worn down by its weathering. It is a constant surrender of your art being as much yours as it is belonging to the larger story, play, or painting where we love as we die, dance as we age, and make art as we ache, not knowing why or how, but that it's all in some way worth it, that it's a gift to be able to age at all. The performance itself, steeped with solos and personal stories, dance circles of all levels, whole group synced travels across the floor, pointed hands looking upwards to thank something a little bit greater than anything specific and the on-screen words of you are more than one body helped start make and close the show leaving us with the collective awareness of our internal emotional worlds this was a show that you couldn't help but cry at (laughs) the power bold acts of vulnerability often have over a crowded room of people looking to each other for clues about how to be 
struck once again here, but in its own way, with in my body. Because what else to do with a dying earth and body than to dance in partnership with it? To go back to the ground for what you need to move forward, what you've dropped and left behind, and breaking yourself down into the process of it all, to try to start anew and create again for no other reason but to continue to connect. Thank you, B-Boyism, for this beautiful expression. I thoroughly enjoyed watching in my body. And thank you for reminding us that we can celebrate all aspects of our bodies as being human. Wow, wonderful job, Elle. In my body at Dance House. Um, that was Elle's review. It's uh, now over. It was playing on March 17th and March 18th. Um, next up, I am going to play an interview from... Uh, who did this interview? <laughs> it's been a long day. Let me find my document. Here we go. An interview um, by uh, Lua, uh, a review, pardon me, of Sense and Sensibility. Take it away, Hello, Lua. everyone. This is Lua Presidio, and today I'll be talking about Sense and Sensibility, the play, not the book. This play is being produced by the Arts Club, and it's on until April 2nd, so there is still some time to check it out, and please do, because it was really good. So as most of you might be familiar, Sense and Sensibility is one of Jane Austen's famous novels, along with Pride and Prejudice and Emma you know, classic titles. And whenever I see a book to theater adaptation, I'm always a little curious as how that's going to play out. Book to film, I think, has an easier time because you can construct those timelines and those um, scenery changes that way you construct in a book. With theater, you sometimes have to become a little bit more creative and innovative in certain ways. And I think the way that this play, this book was adapted into the play was just really, really incredibly and smartly done. The Arts Club is not new to book to theater adaptations. In 2018, they produced The Curious Incident, Dog in the Nighttime, which was really, really good as well. And one of the play, other plays that I talked about a few weeks ago uh, forgiveness was also from a memoir so a book to a play so this is not new territory for them and I think honestly for a classic and so big as a Jane Austen's book I think that this one just hit the nail on the head in terms of capturing the essence of the book. Sense and Sensibility is very much a story of a very charming romance of kind of like will they will they not there's a little bit of intrigue you know if you know how Jane Austen operates none of these um quirks or none of these styles uh are going to be new to you I am a big Jane Austen fan I had not read Sense and Sensibility previous to seeing this play but I'm very familiar with her style and one of the things that I say and Part of the reason that I think is why this play captured the book quite well is because there is this addition to the play, which is almost a chorus. So when I say chorus, I mean in the kind of like Greek epic sense where there is this kind of like group character um, that almost echoes the audience's reaction to what is happening. But at the same time, in this particular play, in Sensibility, it also acts like the gossip. And so as a lot of Jane Austen's plays, uh, books are operates on this understanding that society life is also a life dictated by what people tell to each other, adding this element of this quote-unquote chorus um, is or ensemble, I guess that's what they would be traditionally called, but I think they operate in a way closer to a car chorus, is just really effective in capturing that essence, like I was mentioning before, of the feeling of like, oh, people are talking about this. This is how we know things. The, the Even like in scenes where like things are a little bit too tense, these characters of the chorus will kind of pop their heads out from the sides and like, 
try to listen in and it's like as the audience member that's also kind of what you're doing kind of eavesdropping into this romance conversation or like this steamy moment between characters so i think honestly that was probably one of my favorite aspects of this play and i think one of the most unique aspects and something that's going to stick to stick with me simply because it was just so different from what i expected and i think it was just so, such a smart way of approaching um such a difficulty difficultly constructed um subplots or conversations that don't necessarily need to be like a main front and stage scene in a play but at the same time are essential to the understanding of the story in the book one of my other favorite elements was actually the set i think it was really smartly done and i also think it incorporated some of the more homely aspects of uh some of jane austen's novels so the play the structure of the set was uh, obviously like a living room style however the actual frame so there was a frame around the living room background and that frame was circular and it was actually um oh my god what is it called an embroidery hoop an embroidery hoop <laughs> and so think about it uh, I think the the set really brings it together in the sense because this is a story of, you know, women staying mostly inside, living their lives and experiencing society from a position of not necessarily great advantage. And one of the activities that they we would associate with these women and that they do do in the play as well is embroidery is like these manual labor textiles these kind of things and i think incorporating that into the set was just such a smart little detail that just made me feel so good i was like that is so creative i love that <laughs> and so overall this play was really great the huff post said that uh, perhaps the greatest stage adaptation of this novel in history and honestly i might have to agree because this was an incredible adaptation. I was not expecting the quality, how funny it was as well. Like it was so funny to the point that like knowing Jane Austen and knowing how dramatic and sometimes heavy things become because, you know, there's always intrigue to a certain extent. I was walked into the play and I was like, mm, well, honestly, today just felt like watching a comedy. I'm not feeling great. And I left the theater feeling so light, having watched a romance, having laughed a lot, having felt, um, you know, the pain of certain characters, a full range of emotions. But I think the comedic value of this play, in contrast to how I believe a lot of the movie adaptations of Jane Austen's novels are approached, was really incredible to me, really refreshing, and overall just great. Uh, I also want to say props to the entire cast because every single person in the cast played more than one character and sometimes I forgot it was the same person playing multiple characters because they were just that good in making me believe that it was a different person and so again I just want to say incredible work uh, to the creative team and incredible work to the cast definitely a show that is worth viewing and it will be on until april 2nd on the stanley industrial line stage so do check it out uh they sell their tickets is tickets online at theartsclub.com and i hope you will enjoy it as much as i wow thank you lua that was lua's review of sense and sensibility um we love jane austen um we we love a play, a Jane Austen play that was being put on by the Arts Club. That was really bad vamping. I was clearly, I was just really, really sort of slow, um, uninspired vamping that went on just now. And I'd like to apologize for that. Um, it is playing yeah, from... better next time. Yeah. Honestly. Thank you. <laughs> it's playing from March 2nd to April 2nd. So you can still go see it at the Arts Club. Okay, next up, we have a, a biggie. We have an interview from Kimara with mm -hmm. Il, Ilhani. Oh, wait, let me read it. I think it's Abha Ilhani Abdullah. Ilhani Abdul. Um, on, about their short film, Not For Us. So let's hear it. Welcome to today's episode. We'll just go straight into it. Okay. Um, so... 
you've recently released um, your short film, Not For Us. Um, actually, let's just start with how does that feel? Is this your first short film you've released? Is this your sort of first project? How does that feel like? Yeah, oh my God, it feels amazing. This yeah. project, yeah, just the whole process just felt so incredible. So just finally seeing that final piece, mm -hmm. it feels amazing. So this is technically like, I would say this is my second short film, but okay. this one got released earlier than my first film that I filmed before. Okay, I so see. This is like the first official one, so it's exciting. Okay, okay. are they both, um, are both projects under the Story Hive? No, just this one. Just this one? Yeah. Okay, and so how did you um, come into the collaboration between, like, how did you, like, hear about Story Hive? How did you get into it? How did you, like... I guess apply like just what was your process like process? from beginning yeah. to <laughs> now I guess yeah I have been eyeing story high for a long time yeah. I think even before I would consider myself a filmmaker yeah I have a lot of friends that are into the really indie grassroots with the yeah. people type yeah. of filmmaking so for me I've always seen that I had a lot of like inspiration that I drew from them and I was just in awe of the independent filmmaking world mm -hmm. and anybody that I would tell I'm like hey I really want to do this project or a independent film project mm -hmm. they would always say story hive you need to yeah. get connected to story hive yeah. they truly are intentional with how they hope to support filmmakers mm -hmm. that are local so I've kind of had my eyes on it. There's been different editions that I thought about applying to, like documentary editions. Mm -hmm. And then when this one came out, I felt like I was ready. I was okay. like, I think now I have an idea. I know how I want to pitch it. Um, and that's kind of how it came about. And then I applied to the Black Creators um, edition mm -hmm. and got the news that I got in. I was so ecstatic with my sister. And yeah, the rest was history. Yeah. Well, it's it's actually interesting you say that because before I actually like got linked with you, um, mm -hmm. just a few months back as well, I had like sort of come across StoryHive. It sort of it was recommended to me, and someone was like, "Oh, you know, you should check out StoryHive. They have different projects. They have like I guess the Black Creators. I think they have a podcast mm -hmm. one. I think they have a documentary one, Indigenous yeah. Stories one, right?" Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So then now I feel like it came full circle for me when I was like, because I've been eyeing the website as well. And then now we, this project of yours came across and I was like, oh, oh, so it's like actually seeing a project come through at the end of it. And I was like, oh, then I have to actually like connect with you um, yeah. and just have you take us through um, that process. Have you gotten to work with other, um, I guess, filmmakers um, who got awarded the the project? The like within, within the same cohort or just yeah, in general? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I haven't had a chance to work with them, but I've had opportunities to meet them. So the way that the program works is that in the beginning, before we actually went out to shoot, yeah. we were matched with some mentors and based in the cities that we were in. Okay. And we actually got to take part in some cohort-based learning. Mm -hmm. So we meet together on Zoom. And then through there, organically, you start to gravitate towards people in your city. Mm -hmm. And through those opportunities, I was able to meet a couple. And then Story Hive was hosting... Um, this event, uh, when did it take place? I think it was October or November. Yeah. And it was with some of the cohort that were there. So that okay. was the first time we actually met in person. Yes. And there's talks of us wanting to collaborate. But in this process, I think we all just had our crew members and our stories that were like, okay, we have a timeline. We got to get to it. Yeah. Okay. So just if to see if I'm getting this correctly for anyone who might be interested in StoryHive, um, so you you get assigned a project and then you get not assigned a project you get selected and then mm -hmm. you have your project that you've pitched to them right yes and then they assign you i guess a crew to now work with you on developing your idea is that is that it so they assign you a mentor yes yeah. so, okay. and the mentors do the partnership with the black screen office and you get to work with that mentor in anything that you need help with whether it's a 101 to the filmmaking world in Vancouver or like what does it mean to direct and to write mm. um and then you technically get the grant from Story Hive and it's your responsibility to like build your team around you so that means finding the director the story editors producers everything yeah and how was that process like then finding your own directors producers writing and what was your specific role as well yeah so I love that process. There was a sense of like flexibility and creative freedom mm -hmm. uh, and autonomy that you kind of get with that. But at the same time, it could be difficult because 
I think you're also just like, oh my God, like who do I know that's in the yeah. film world? Yeah. Uh, and then at the same time with short films or the way that a lot of the folks in my community make films, um, a lot of people are doing this on the side of their desks. Okay. So everybody has like a full-time job or a hustle to help pay the rent. Um, and short films is like a way to practice your art and your your skills and craft your talents. So what you'll find is it's kind of hard to find people that are free during your scheduled time and are able to find time after work hours or weekends to meet with you to kind of prep and plan. But the beautiful thing about the filmmaking community and specifically the folks that I worked with were predominantly um, BIPOC. So they were mostly black indigenous um, folks of color. And so I think because of that, it was like, oh, like everything was word of mouth. So you had the cinematographer who was like, I actually have a team of people that I trust and I work really well with. Is it okay if I bring them on board? Absolutely. Um, with a director on this project, Pranita Killa, he yeah. knew some phenomenal people that were wanting to produce more. So it was like, hey, I know these people. Let's see if they're willing to be a part of this. And then from that, it just kept growing and growing and growing. Um, and then referrals. So other friends of mine who were like, hey, I worked with this makeup artist before. You should talk to them. I see. Uh, so it, honestly, a lot of it was just through community and I word see. of mouth. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So just to go back then to the actual project, um, yeah. what inspired um, the story itself, the ideation of it? How was the ideation process like now moving it forward after you had, I'm guessing you had the initial idea and then it sort of perhaps transformed or evolved. Definitely. Um, where did that even start from and how did it evolve over the whole production process? Oh, that's a great question. It definitely evolved. Um, so the idea that we drew the inspiration from was from our actual story. So my sister and I, whenever we create projects or we write scripts, we always want to bring it from like a lived reality perspective and mm -hmm. then make it more dramatic and exaggerate as we go on. So um, luckily for us in this story, there wasn't too much exaggeration that we did, except for like the the horror aspects of like the dead, like that theme coming across. Um but it was a real camping story with my sisters and I. Yeah. And we were just like, let's go camping. I think at that time I was like 24. I was pretty, okay. I was pretty old. And I was like, I haven't camped yet. Let's do it. And then my sisters were like, let's go. And then, but in the real story, we had more characters. So that was my biggest learning. Um, I guess biggest learning from all of this is like, you have the script, you have this idea, you have all these characters, all these storylines. And then with a short film, like you have the challenge of doing it all in less okay. than 15 minutes right yeah so reality is you have to cut characters out you have to kind of reshift the storyline and character development mm -hmm. so i think that was like one of the biggest takeaways for us and in terms of how the story evolved so it, initially it had six characters okay in this story we ended up making it three and really trying to focus more on the sisterhood okay. of the story um, but in our actual camping story, we didn't have food. Like somebody didn't remember to pack food. We had tuna oh, no. camp. We didn't even have sleeping bags. We didn't know how to put the tent up. It was a hot mess. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and then we got scared by some of the neighbors that were like partying next door and like doing these interesting things. So it was a hot mess. So yeah. to that degree, it was kind of similar. And we've never been back to camping. That was the one and only time. That's the one time. <laughs> we learn our lesson we're like mm, it's not for us yeah what's been the reception from um i guess somali canadian community or i guess even more i guess i'd say african community because i definitely relate to this like oh, okay. i haven't i have still never been camping and i can imagine the kind of conversation that would go down <laughs> I went to my mom and was like, oh, I'm going camping. And she'd be like, why? Because what's what's wrong with your room? <laughs> exactly. Why would you remove yourself from your house to go um, camping or, or living in? The but you see, we live in a world where, you know, people are, these are things people are doing. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. You also would like to try it. But then there's sort of like the cultural um, difference. Yeah. yeah. So what's been the reception from the... Other than, of course, I'm sure many people relate. Um, what's been the reception from the Somali Canadian community, and I'd, I'd, I'd say even the larger, maybe African um, community? Yeah, watching, yeah, totally. So I think a lot of people relate to it. Yeah, um, and that was like the biggest, I guess, feedback we got. Every time we would tell people we're doing this film, and they're like, "What's it about?" And we're like, three Somali African sisters that go to the woods, don't know how to camp, call it quits," and everyone's like, "That's me." 
that's my sisters and I, that's my brothers and I. And like, there's this universal experience of, of that. And I think my family as well, and a lot of Somalis can relate that experience of coming to the country either as refugees or immigrants. And mm -hmm. like that sense of like, you know, we came here for this sense of like safety and security mm -hmm. and a sense of like home. Uh, why do you want to go outside into the woods? Like it yeah. doesn't make any sense. <laughs> We seem to be experiencing some technical difficulties. Um, please stay tuned. Um, one moment, please. Welcome to today's episode. We'll just go straight into it. Okay. Um, so you're relatable. And yeah. on the flip okay, I just skipped to the part where it paused. So we're going to resume now side my other friends who are very into mountain sports and hiking and camping awesome, they're like we had no idea that people see camping this way we thought it was normal yeah. like going to the woods so it's Definitely. interesting to see it from those different perspectives oh, oh that was actually my next question i was like okay so what's been the the response as well from the loud large i guess canadian community who you know maybe camp all the time and like do this stuff and it's like it's like briefing or something it's like oh you, they wouldn't pause twice to be like yeah i'm not going camping or something so it's yeah. kind of interesting that you've actually brought that um on the yeah, other side no, I definitely um, um, of it why you would you say when you are making like, it specifically trying to target any audience or or no because of how yeah no actually so interestingly enough i think like initially that like, used to be how we write yeah. stories were like of course at the core of it is because we really want to shift that representation aspect mm -hmm. and like and hopefully have more casting opportunities on, on board different crew members that don't necessarily get that opportunity to be on film sets but with this story it was more of like what's a funny story that we always tell at the family dinners or like hangouts and it's always a camping story so and we thought comedy is really it's a tough one it's like a hit or miss with comedy but we're like let's just see what happens let's just try to do this and even with our director who's not he doesn't identify as he's not somali and even with him he was like i have my own camping hot mess story so it's like everyone that we told this to feels the same way so we didn't really have that in mind but subconsciously because our stories are really similar with other folks that have a similar immigrant experience um, or feeling othered at times there was that sense of that uniform feeling yeah yeah okay, that makes sense and then um you've also like i think one thing i really liked well there's a lot oh, of things fuck. i liked but one of the things i really liked was um and I, I guess you mentioned this was a theme you guys tried to focus on um just sort of the back and forth between the sisters um is this like a reflection of i guess the back and forth between you and your actual sisters i don't have a sister i have a brother so oh, it's still a back and forth but it, it sometimes it's a bit different and i always like wondered what like a sister sister relationship yeah. is like did you say you really like tapped into your own experience and your own with your own sister um yeah. let me tell you about sisters there's yeah. <laughs> So in my family, there's actually four of us, but one of the other one was like too young to come camping with us at that time. Mm -hmm. And we all have very different personalities. And we tried to mirror that as much as possible and to kind of show the contrast. Yeah, my yeah. personality was kind of similar to Ilhan's personality in, in the film in terms mm -hmm. of like, I'm like the diplomat, I'm like the mediator, I don't want drama. So whatever we have to do to make sure we get there in one piece, I'll do. Mm -hmm. And then we have the older sister who's kind of like a bit more like opinionated, mm -hmm. um, kind of follow her lead. E ever since we were young, like we thought she was the coolest. We're like, oh my God, whatever yes. Iman says, we will do. Yeah. Um, and then the younger sister was always like, just like that follower, like, I want to be included. Can I please be included? And overexcited for everything. And we're just like, no, you're not coming. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that dynamic has always been like the dynamic between the three of us growing up. Yeah. Yeah. And even well into our 20s. Okay. So we try to like mirror that as much as possible, but still make it a little bit more 
dramatic than okay. normal. Are any of your the sisters in the film your actual sisters? No. <laughs> okay, okay. That was the goal, but they were too camera shy. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, you didn't seem camera shy. You were actually, I thought like everyone was a very good actress. I, I really thought, I even really loved the mom. I, she oh, didn't yeah. feature as much, but I really liked her as well. She was like, oh, okay, I, I understand this. So um, that was my mom. That was, that was, mom. That was yeah. your mom? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know how we convinced her to go on camera and not the other sisters. not your sisters? That doesn't make sense. But I feel like she played, I was like, oh my God, she's like so natural. She like played the part. I wouldn't even like, this is exactly what I would expect. So now that you're saying she's actually your mom, I'm like, oh, okay, wow. And then I really liked how she pulled out like, like a bunch of newspapers to just like, look, here's evidence, you know, people are dying in the forest and everything. And I was like, that probably happened. That definitely did happen. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And then I think something else I really, really, really liked actually was the music. Um, The music at the end, some of the music um, during some of the, in the, in the actual film, is that like could you tell me a bit more about the music that process maybe who like handled the music because i really actually liked it oh amazing i have to give all the credit to our lovely composer his name is he goes by skinny local music Mm -hmm. um and his name is bavik and he worked really closely with praneet who was a director to try to get a feel so the way that it would work was i kind of when it came to the somali instruments Mm -hmm. um they were very very intentional about like okay how do we make this feel authentic Mm-hmm. But while still also keeping the director's vision at the same time, mm-hmm. um, while also providing a lot of flexibility to the composer to be like, "Your this is your expertise. Like, how do you, what would make the most sense for you?" So that was kind of the process. So for the opening scene, you'll hear some of those. It's very like anybody who watches it at Somali is like, "That's our music," yeah. um, and that was composed by the composer. So it was really paying attention to the instruments that we use traditionally. Mm-hmm. And then the closing song was very impromptu. So the way that happened was I was really hoping to get in touch with Somali musicians so we could like, you know, get permission to use their, use their music. That mm-hmm. took forever to get a hold of, because um, they're mostly across the globe. They're mostly in like UK, Denmark. And that just took a while. So we're like, okay, we don't have that much time. What if we made our own song? Yeah. And the the composer was like, I am down. I love that idea. So my sister and I were like at home for days trying to come up with like a melody that's in Somali, but that's traditional. We couldn't come up with anything. So my mom was the one that was the genius. So she came up with the lyrics and then we came up with the melody. And then we just sang into our phones together, my sister and I gave it to the composer and he was like, I got y'all. And he just created some amazing Somali style beat and put it together. So that's kind of how that closing song came out. Oh up. my God. I feel like, because you know what? I think the 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 last song, the song at the closing, yeah. was I think what was the best. So for you to actually say, you know, your mom composed it, I'm like, I feel like your mom is the real OG. <laughs> Actress, <laughs> you know, lyricist. Um, it's like, yeah. I can't. I can't even like, but yeah, I think the music was really, really nice. And I could sort of recognize that it was Somali because there is a bit of a, not a bit, there's a big Somali population in Kenya as well. So I definitely could be like, oh, like I might not differentiate, but I could be like, oh, this sounds a bit more Somali or Horn of Africa type music. And I loved it. Oh, yay. That's amazing. Yeah. I didn't realize that people would like, receive it that well so people have been asking us put this on spotify like yeah we never thought about that yeah your mom and everyone should have like their own like you know she should be starting her own production (laughs) i will tell her that tonight yeah please make sure you pass the message i will yeah anyway um yeah i think i think um is there anything else you're working on other than the other project you mentioned or um Mm. upcoming projects and what themes do you feel like you'll explore in future projects as well yeah so I have been working on this future film it's called lifeline for the last I would say two to three years Mm -hmm. and I've been working really closely with these amazing um co-producers and production company called Dunya Media and we've been really working on the script right now and trying to get it to a place where we're just like we could do this and I think for me doing this short film from the beginning all the way to the end 
kind of gave me that boost in confidence of like, we can make this movie. It's yeah. all about the collective. Who are the people that are down to ride with you all the way to the end? Um, so that's a drama. It's a feature film. It's a lot longer, but mm -hmm. it touches upon similar themes about just like being reconnecting to your cultural identity. What does it look like to write a story where we don't have to explain ourselves and ex we don't have to explain the language that we use, the words like inshallah, a'udhubillah, all these things that you hear. Yeah. What does it mean to write an authentic story? Um, and the story follows a Somali girl um, in her like early 30s who's just like killing it in her workplace, trying to reconnect to her identity. Okay. And at the flip side, we're also following this newcomer refugee youth who's Somali and he's a young guy. And what happens when these two worlds kind of come together or okay. cross paths. So that okay. one is, I'm really hoping that we get to make that one. That, sounds, that sounds very, very interesting actually. Yeah. And I think, is it going to be more comedy or more like, I guess? I think it would be more drama with hints drama. of comedy. comedy. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think you do comedy well. And I really like um, that you did, you approach the short film from a comedic perspective. I think that's also what usually creates the, relatability even beyond I guess who it appeals to initially so right. I think I think I think yeah I think that's a very good plan and I can't wait to actually see your other projects stuff like that so thank you so much for like joining us and telling us about mm. your project and your film and where can everyone watch your project just for yeah. me a little yeah. plug in. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, so you can catch it on Telus Optic TV if you have mm -hmm. that on channel 707. But you can also watch it on Story Hive's YouTube channel. Okay. Um, you just have to go into their Black Creators Edition and then you'll see a bunch of amazing stories that are being told by the cohort this year. Okay, well, thank you so much then. Thank you so much for the time. And I appreciate you also watching it. And all right, we're back. That was Kimara's interview with um, Ilhan Abdullahi, um, who is the director of Not For Us, a short film. Um, all right, well, we're going to wrap up the show soon. But as the listener knows, this is the portion of the show where I just talk about my daily life. So one thing that I wanted to bring up was um, this problem that my friend has been having, like, my friend Lily, so many guys are into her. Like, it's crazy. Like, she has, like, a lot on her plate. She's literally, like, saving children's lives. Aphrodite, um, honestly. Yeah, like, she's saving children's lives. She's She works at BC Children's Hospital literally saving people's lives. So men are, like, obsessed with her because she's so incredible um, and so hot. Um, but, yeah, there's just, like, always all these, like, incredibly handsome and incredibly kind doctors just throwing themselves at her. And I'm like, Lily, listen, like, you got to – you got to conserve your energy. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, she's uh, she's a real gem. So if you are a handsome and kind doctor, I mean, I guess you line. could. Get yeah, get in line. I guess you could message me if you want. But like, honestly, she's so busy because she's so amazing and incredibly hot. Anyways, that's the end of the show. <laughs> um. <laughs> um thank you so much for listening if you're driving home right now in your car i always imagine that my listeners are in their car um because they are <laughs> that you're you go home and you have the most amazing dinner the just a nourishing dinner you know mm. pita and hummus butter chicken sauteed vegetables sauteed maybe? vegetables some uh, rice some rice okay. um maybe you have pancakes for breakfast because you're pancakes. so silly like chocolate chips ch with chocolate chips and yeah. syrup yeah. Um, strawberries, maybe. Maple syrup. Mm -hmm. Not that fiction. No, no, no. Maple. We're in Canada. <laughs> you can't swear before 9 p.m. <laughs> Anyways, thank you so much for listening today. Um, and remember, doctors, don't try because, I mean, try, but you're, it pr you probably won't get very far, but it's worth a shot. All right. <laughs> Have a wonderful evening, everyone, and uh, nourish yourself. All right. Um, we are out of here. The mountain is high. When you slip, it will test you. Have you doubt in the climb? Right when you bout to arrive. Some take the easy way out. Hitch a ride on the back of whoever is on the way up. They never show what they made up. They never put in the work. There's only so far I can take you. 
you got two feet so you can stand. I just hope you see the top just like we planned.
Hey, this is Jeremy from Kiwi Junior, and you're listening to CITR 101.9. Welcome to Techno Progressivo. I'm DJ Wah, and you're listening to 101.9 CITR here in Vancouver. I'm proud to work and live on the unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh Nations. Giuseppe Ottaviani is the feature interview for tonight's episode as head of his gig here in town on Saturday, April the 1st, to showcase his brand of trance. And we will get to that shortly, but 